If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Greymalk and Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, in our last several episodes, we've been reviewing how Magneto and the Toad reformed the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants by manipulating Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch into turning against the Avengers. Uh, Magneto hit Scarlet Witch with a bullet and blamed it on some humans, and now Quicksilver thinks all humans are evil. That's basically all you need to know. Meanwhile, in the X-Men comics, Professor X has died seemingly, and the grieving X-Men have been captured by Magneto. That's kind of all you need to know going into today. There's been several issues building into this one. Uh, We have two more issues after this in this same current story arc. Now, this week, we're going to be reviewing X-Men number 44 from March 1968. This issue is titled Red Raven, Red Raven, uh, which uh, we we still have our regular creative team uh, with Roy Thomas plotting uh, Don Heck on art, John Tartaglione on inks, and Sam Rosen on letters. Uh, but this issue, we have a new writer taking over, Gary Friedrich. And I'll talk a little bit more about Gary in just a few minutes. Uh, first, I'm super excited to have returning guests, uh, Michelle Waffle. Hi, Michelle. Hi. And Justin Kosmachuk. Hi, Justin. Good morning. And we are thrilled to be joined by the legendary writer and illustrator and artist. I think all three of those qualify. And I want to make sure I'm saying your last name right. Is it Shagil or Shegel? It is Shegel. Rhymes with eagle, beagle, legal, or any other word that fits that. <laughs> so uh, Greg Shegel is here with us. Hi, Greg. How are you? I am I am doing well. I'd say the only word that maybe doesn't fit in that description is legendary, but I'll, I guess I'll take it. But thank you. I think I think legendary uh, applies to anyone who has an impressive career and frankly decades in the business and that certainly qualifies. You've we'll talk about your career in just a minute but you've done a lot more stuff than you're giving yourself credit for it seems. Well, I've I've done a lot of stuff. I don't I mean again, legendary that's like that's that's a that's a stature that again, I'll take it. But <laughs> we're all our own worst critic. So, gotcha. I wouldn't give myself that. I'll take it from you. So we're going to have everybody introduce themselves a little bit. Let everyone know where we might know you from. Let us know your gender pronouns. And then as you're introducing yourself in relation to today's issue, uh, can you think of any characters from your childhood in fiction or any other format that you remember fondly and might love to bring back in a different format today? Uh, So let's go in the order of Michelle, Justin, Greg. Okay. Hi, I'm Michelle Waffle. Uh, I am a cosplayer and I guess podcast like recurring guest. Um, I'm also an avid comic book collector, reader, and I know you. this is just being recorded um, without video, but behind me I have an extensive collection of Marvel Legends and other like X-Men Marvel memorabilia. <laughs> 
And you're dressed um, gorgeously as Amora the Enchantress today. I love it. Yes. I'll also yes. verify. There are a lot of toys. I can see them. So there's, I'm, I'm seconding <laughs> that motion. <laughs> um, yes, I was going to do a quick photo shoot this morning and didn't real. I didn't get my time synced up. So cosplaying while doing a podcast, not the first time I've done it. <laughs> um, just makes things a little more interesting. <laughs> um, for the question, uh, I really loved Gem and the Holograms growing up. I I watched that show like religiously every morning, um, and I would love to see it come back. I know they they relaunched it in the comics, and I liked the vibe that that had. But I feel like we could make like Jem slash Jerrica, much more of like a savvy, like a businesswoman while taking on running an orphanage and a band and trying to maintain personal relationships. I think that is very relevant with today, like the the multitasking woman who can like do it all and is just like trying to keep it together. So I think we could definitely see that in today's world and i would love to see her back like she's she's just so awesome i i love gem this sounds like a good pitch for a dazzler book <laughs> uh yes yes i feel like we could have like a nice little crossover too like gem and dazzler going on tour i love it you know love maybe it. get josie and the pussycats too who knows oh that'd be fantastic um <laughs> and uh we are now now you guys may know uh michelle from the episode we had with kath loria and michelle's super handsome hus uh, husband justin was with us but today we have a different super handsome justin uh, <laughs> returning with us today justin how are you stop don't stop <laughs> <laughs> So um, my name is Justin Kosmichuk. Um, online, I go by Jay Cosmic or Justin Cosmic. Just easier for everybody. Um, the amount of people who cannot spell or pronounce my last name is crazy. <laughs> but I digress. Um, I go by he and him pronouns. And um, I am a cosplayer, um, big Marvel fan, and very much a large Marvel Legends collector as well. Um, actually got a whole bunch like right beside me can vouch. <laughs> Seconded. I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and the prompt question, um, characters from child characters from childhood. I remember fondly that I might love to bring back in a different format today. I actually was a little stumped on this one at first, just because growing up, a lot of the cartoons I grew up on were like Batman, the animated series, X-Men, the animated series, a lot of the superhero stuff that, you know, I'm still into today. Um, but um, thinking about it, um, a couple weeks ago, um, I went back and watched the old Batman and Robin movie. And it is camp fun, you know, just looking back. And honestly, when I was six years old, I was obsessed with Poison Ivy, like... I want it to be Poison Ivy. I have a little journal of like drawings of her being like Poison Ivy is the greatest, you know, like just it explains a lot now, you know, growing up and, you know, gay. <laughs> but <laughs> honestly, um, I feel like she hasn't really gotten a fair shot in the movies again and would love to see her brought back. Um, even watching back, there are a few moments where it's like, this is still relevant today, you know, with 
the world being on fire, basically. Um, I think she could be brought back as a more serious villain. Um, not that she wasn't serious, but um, having someone who is essentially, you know, talking like Alaska Thunder or Fox May West the whole time, <laughs> just the whole time, I am here to regrow the planet ow you know like <laughs> just the whole time watching that i just was like may west poison ivy so i would love to see her come back in another movie um i know she's been in the comics and the cartoons and you know being an lgbt character as well i think she could you know bring some of that to the movies as well just because you know with representation as well it's still scarce even if you know it's a little more progressive nowadays too like looking at you marvel <laughs> i have a i have a friend who after coming out of the closet left religion and then he started saying i'm replacing the father and the son and the holy ghost with judy garland bet midler and may west they're my new they're my new god <laughs> which is one of my favorite things <laughs> But on, but honestly, watching back at the movie and um, Pamela just being like, your corporation could fund this and regrow the planet and everybody laughing at her, it's like, big oof. <laughs> Delicious. It's like, uh, oh, still relevant. <laughs> and then Greg, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Greg Shegel. I'll go with he, hims. Um, and to the question, I, this one, this it was a, it was a tough question, the, the matter of... Uh, what to bring back or in a new form. Um, in, in my career, I've tried to pitch things. I tried something with the Wonder Twins. I tried Power Pack. I tried Spider-Ham. Uh, none of those happened. But for this question, I'm, I'm taking a completely different spin because the, the, what got me was a different format. Um, so as a kid, I loved the show Family Ties. Oh, sure. Uh, and there was a character on there called Alex P. Keaton, who I think everybody in the mid-80s loved uh played by michael j fox and what i found interesting in hindsight with alex p keaton was he was uh politically to the right in in and very a uh like a reaganite worshiper and I, I would like to see a documentary analyzing what kind of influence that character had on a generation who were not politically involved i was nine you know i wasn't paying any attention but having that character who's so awesome like a thing that maybe you grow up and go, what was that thing? And, and sort of reassess your own uh, positions. It's a heavier answer, I'm realizing. But no, I, th you know. I think it's fascinating. And I grew up watching that show. I was young, yeah. uh, but I, I, I remember that show very much, uh, along with uh, so many of that, like Friday night lineup back then. <laughs> this, this, it's fascinating. And we're living in a time where a lot of things are being actively revived constantly, right? Uh, so my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. A lot of the shows, uh, a lot of shows had a big impact on me growing up. But if I chose three, it's kind of different eras of my childhood. It was the Hardy Boys. Wait, you get to pick three? Well, we all I, have to pick one. <laughs> that's, the host, that's host, that's host oh, powers right there. I'm choosing host rights. Uh, so the Hardy Boys was a huge influencer, uh, which we've seen brought back several times. Another one was He-Man, which we've seen brought back even very recently. And then the Ninja Turtles, which we've seen brought back. So it was interesting for me to go, okay, which one has not been brought back? And I was I started thinking of, of uh, certain old characters um, uh, like Steve Urkel, 
uh, who who was such a big part of the 90s. But they even did a spoof on him on SNL like two weeks ago. So <laughs> I, think, I think we're just living in an active time of revival. Now, the reason I asked that question specifically in this issue of X-Men, which is in 1968, we get to see Roy Thomas, uh, who is a huge fan of the old Marvel World War II stuff, bring back the character Red Raven. And we'll be talking about Red Raven in a bit. So that was kind of the uh, the the uh, tie-in to today. Um, so, Greg, uh, I could do a bio for you, and I have one written up. But let me let me just ask you the question: Where would people know you from best? Uh, non-Marvel hmm. first. Your non-Marvel stuff. Non-Marvel first. Okay. Um, I for a, for a lot of years I worked on SpongeBob related stuff. Um, I drew SpongeBob licensing uh, material, so character art that ended up on T-shirts and products everywhere. I worked on SpongeBob comics for the extent of that run and on Nick in Nick, Nick magazine before that. Um, trying to think of, now I know the things I've done. So I do, I did two graphic novels of a character of my creation called Pix, who is, it's a superhero fairy tale mashup of a girl who believes that she's a fairy princess. And the question is whether she is or isn't. Um, I think I did, I've done two podcasts. Uh, one was called stuff said, which was a comics related interview a conversation podcast. I did that from 2011 to 2014 actively and then sort of fizzled. Uh, I do a different podcast called Cruising Together uh, with my co-host Chris Jeruso, who you might know from G-Man Comics or Mini yeah, Marvels. Yeah. Uh, and we have watched uh, in order every movie Tom Cruise has ever acted in. Uh, and we quote unquote discuss them. Uh, um, and Chris, okay. Chris, does a, Chris does a lot of the Mini Marvels stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're gonna talk. His... I, I totally need to have him on the podcast now. <laughs> he's, I think he's fantastic. Um, and so, and then, and I do a new series now called Superhero Universe, which is animal superheroes in in uh, illustrated chapter book form for kids like seven to ten or eleven. Um, I'm trying to think of what I'm forgetting. This is the non-Marvel stuff. Yeah. So you, drawn, okay, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I've, I've illustrated these chapter books featuring DC heroes in the animated form for a different publisher. I've done a lot of sort of coloring books and storybooks and stuff outside of comics. And then in the past couple of years, I've been doing character design for uh, SpongeBob and the SpongeBob spinoff, The Patrick Show and Camp Coral. Which I love. You've developed quite a reputation for yourself and built quite a career out of uh, storytelling and doing art for kid kind of themed books. Uh, yes. You've worked as a comic book artist, obviously, but you've worked for Disney and you've worked for Nickelodeon. You've done DC and you've done Marvel. I think your SpongeBob is probably your best known stuff because you've you've had uh, been doing that for so long. How about your Marvel specific stuff? Tell us a little bit about your Marvel work. So Marvel also covers a pretty wide spread. I started uh, as a penciler. I did a few issues of What If. Uh, while I was doing that, I also became an assistant editor. So I worked with Tom Brevoort on the Avengers and Thor and uh, Thunderbolts. This was in 1990, end of 97, beginning of 98. So it was a Heroes Return era uh, with Kurt Busiek and George Perez, rest mm -hmm. in peace. Uh, Dan Jurgens, John Amita Jr. on Thor. Uh, it was a great time to be there. I mean, the company was bankrupt and things weren't great on that end, but the books we were working on were, were a thrill. So while I was doing that, I was also penciling some books. Um, so I penciled three issues of What If, including the final issue, which was a Secret Wars one that people seem to like quite a bit, the, the children of the 
Secret Wars characters. Um, then I transitioned from that into doing stuff for Marvel licensing. So I did a lot of artwork that appeared on like the X-Men Monopoly game or uh, the um, there was a bunch of stuff I did now. It's all like leaving my brain. Uh, but most notably in that period, I drew a four-part anti-drug story that appeared in every Marvel comic at the end of 99, beginning of 2000 called Fastlane, which was this very heavy-handed Spider-Man story about the dangers of marijuana. Um, so I did that in 2000. And then in 2009, and I believe the reason I'm here, I wrote a four-issue miniseries called X-Babies, Stars Reborn, uh, collaborating with my friend uh, and incredibly talented cartoonist Jacob Shabbat to tell what I think was a pretty great story that uh, I'm glad to know other people saw it because it sure didn't seem that way at the time. So I have uh, I have a whole list of questions. Thank you for that summary. It's nicer coming from you than me. Uh, you also did uh, uh, some penciling on Generation X uh, as well. So there's I been did. a little bit of X related work. I, pen- I penciled one issue. Door. What's that? Yes. I, I penciled- just shut the. <laughs> I penciled one issue, one issue of Generation X, number fifty-one, where they are their their new red costumes are introduced. Uh, to to I know on Twitter there was a conversation about it. I did not design those costumes; those were Terry Dodson designs. Uh, I just drew them for the first time in continuity, which seemed wrong. But I took the I took the job, and I drew one cover to X Man. Uh, there's a cover where he's fighting this giant bug, and I actually did that while I was at work at Marvel. They needed this cover drawn very quickly, so I penciled it during lunch. And then uh, it was inked overnight by an inker who happened to be around. I think it was Scott Koblish. So those are my X-Men credits. X-Babies, one issue of Generation X, one cover for X-Men. And I colored some, I colored some X-Men pages that needed coloring during my Marvel days. I, uh, I have a long list of a thousand people I would love to interview, but your name initially came to my attention when we interviewed Jay Ferber on the podcast and talked about those red costumes. And then there was this conversation and I'm like, oh, I should reach out to Greg because I looked up your name and I'm like, oh my God, X-Babies, which I remember so fondly. Uh, before I jump into my questions, uh, uh, Justin and Michelle, do you guys have any comments or questions for Greg so far? Um, I just want to say that I love Generation X. Like those costumes are so iconic. Um, even if you didn't design it, you still got to draw it. And that is that is so cool. I do a Generation X cosplay as well. And had I known, I would have coordinated better. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you. Um, no, they, they, were, they were slightly complicated costumes to draw, but they were pretty fun. The one thing I did do in that issue that I don't think anybody picked up on or ever did again was uh, for skin. I had him, I drew his hair much longer. I don't know if it, it must have been long at the time, but I had it clipped with one barrette. Uh, because I recently, I think I'd recently seen uh, the Big Lebowski, so I was basically patterning that hairdo on him. I flipped up <laughs> one side of his hair, uh, which yeah. I love it. Thank there's you. An, I don't. I, there's an interesting parallel too, because that costume redesign, and I'll post some images on Twitter when we release this. Uh, the characters are all in red and gold, right? Like uh, red and yellow. And the issue we're going to review today is Angel in red and yellow versus Red Raven in red and yellow, which was a kind of a funny parallel when I was prepping this. <laughs> like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, Justin, did you have uh, anything you wanted to say? Um, I thought it was interesting how you were able to expand on the X-Babies a bit. And I was just wondering if there were any other characters you'd love to try your hand at. Uh, yeah, so the characters I... I wanted to do more than anything else and that it's changed in time but for for a very long time power pack was like that's it my sights were on power pack my initial goal when i started at marvel was to pick up some penciling work 
and then transition to start writing and penciling and then do a run on power pack where I wrote and drew. Uh, and I had an eight page pitch that would show anybody that was interested. And I had 13 issues mapped out. And it was like this really very specific concept for power pack. Um, outside of that, the X babies thing came out of a pitch for spider ham and the Marvel animal characters that uh, I pitched several times and eventually was told at the time that Spider-Ham as a character was a bit radioactive. It was just after the, the Civil War Spider-Ham one-shot that I don't know why they didn't want to do anything with Spider-Ham after that, but they didn't. Uh, so the editor said, do you have any ideas for X-Babies? And then I sort of came up with those ideas. Uh, and then and then I mentioned before the, the Wonder Twins. I had an idea for Wonder Twins that didn't go anywhere. But that, again, would have been in kids publishing more than comics. And it's this format I like of text with illustration and comics sections in it. It's sort of a mishmash of, of uh, storytelling methodology. Wonder Twin Powers like. Activate. That was what I called the book. <laughs> the book series was going to be called Wonder Twin Powers Activate. And my, uh, my children were asking a few months ago to uh, like, what, what shows did you watch when you were a little kid? And I showed them some episodes of Super Friends and like three minutes and they were like, oh my God, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh it's it, it can it is it is slow it is a slow burn the super friends the challenge of the super friends get a little more exciting because there's more characters running around and they sort of get to right the the stuff but the early super friends episodes are um clunky it's uh it's really interesting hearing you talk about some of the fringe areas of mainstream stuff right when you're when you're talking about designing merch for spongebob or or doing certain things for these different franchises that we know bigger stuff when i worked for marvel i worked on the handbooks way back when and my name is in a lot of books which is great but a lot of my work was stuff that was never credited or uh like i wrote the i wrote the blurbs on marvel's postage stamp campaign in the words of willie lumpkin like hey we're launching our own postage stamps with these characters i mean it's all the little stuff on the side that you don't think about people working on. I think it's really fascinating. You did a lot of that. I mean, it's it's at a certain point, I realized, oh, this is where you can actually work and, and earn a living drawing stuff for X-Men Monopoly. And yeah, yeah, your name isn't on it, but you, I got to draw every X-Men character. I, you know, I drew all the chants uh, and, and community chess cards. So I got to draw everybody. Um, so yeah, it was, it was at a certain point, it was like, I just want to draw and earn a living drawing. And this is where the work is. So yeah, you want me to draw a coloring book? I'll draw a coloring book. I don't have to sit in a cubicle. You got it. Uh, the so, the, yeah. the X-Men are super famous for their alternate realities. There's everything from the Age of Apocalypse to the Age of X-Men to everything else on the side. Some of these realities are very well known. Some are extraordinarily obscure. Now we had a series that's recently been in an animated format on Disney called What If that explores the concept of alternate realities the final issue, uh, I think it's number 114 of yep. What If, is one of the issues that you got to draw. And it features a story in which all of the characters who were in the secret wars never left Battleworld. And they've gone on to have families and children. And you get to design this new team of Avengers who are the children of these characters. And there's some weird mashups. So uh, I'm going to read this team out loud really quickly. You got to design the character Bravado, who is the son of Thor and Enchantress. So we have oh. Michelle as Enchantress today. Uh, we got <laughs> Crusader, who is this, uh, the daughter of Captain America and Rogue, which is such a weird pair up. Uh, we've got Mustang, who's the daughter of, uh, I'm sorry, the son of Hawkeye and She-Hulk. Uh, Firefly, who's the child of Human Torch and the Wasp. And then finally, and most profoundly probably for X-Men fans, is Torrent 
who is the uh, daughter of Storm and Wolverine. And these are characters we don't often see referenced, of course, uh, but I think the issue is really fun and the designs are really fun. Tell me a little bit about your work on and design of these obscure alternate reality characters. Sure. It's actually a pretty fun story. So I was working at Marvel at the time. My office was next door to Frank Pitarese's office. He edited What If? Uh, and I used to go in there and just uh, be a goofball and ask questions and see what was going on. And he was talking about this issue of What If? And of a certain gen, there's a group of us at Marvel at the time that loved Secret Wars and then a generation just above us that hated Secret Wars. <laughs> um, and I think there is like a line in the sand. There are certain people that think it is just... Uh, a toy it's like a big ad for toys and then the rest of us think it is one of the great marvel stories of all time uh but we all of my generation we loved it and he was telling me about this thing and i read the script and i just started sketching character designs just because ideas were coming to me while i'm doing this he's seeking other artists to draw this book so he reached out i don't know to how many people but as he's doing this i'm dropping characters i'm like hey if you want to use this here's a design for crusader if you want to use this here's a design for mustang and I'm just dropping things on his desk because while I was on the phone with freelancers, I would be sketching. While I was out in the bullpen, I'd be sketching. And at a certain point, the combination of him liking those designs and not finding you know, however many artists he called, he then said, do you want to draw this thing? And I said, absolutely, let's go. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. I was designing them for the fun of designing them. It's a thing I did around the office all the time. I would try to redesign characters just just for the fun of it uh in hindsight some of those designs are better than others but uh that's how that came about and then that was the first time jay and i worked together jay ferber who wrote it uh and we would talk on the phone a bunch about the story and what we were doing and we had ideas for a sequel and yeah it was it was that that came about by being in the right place i was at marvel and and just sort of goofing around and and throwing stuff at throwing stuff to the office next door. I feel like both Storm and Wolverine in particular have like 10 different children and alternate realities. <laughs> Storm and Black <laughs> Panther have at least four as an example. Uh, but this is a fun one. I would love to see these characters brought back in some format. Uh, Justin and Michelle, I just uploaded some art into the chat if you want to take a look at these characters. It's really fun, actually. Now, Mustang and Bravado do appear in Avengers Forever. Oh. They are, they are in, I think it's in issue 11 or 12. There are these huge battle scenes of like yeah, all these yeah. realities like sort of coming hundreds in. of characters. Yeah. yeah. And there's I think it's the end of issue 11. There's a big splash of all the characters appearing and Mustang and Bravado are right up front. Uh, and that's a case of I was the assistant editor on Avengers Forever. That issue came out while we were doing that series. Carlos Pacheco and I talked multiple times a week uh, and then that page showed up and that was just a little surprise for me that he threw those characters in there. That's so great. Yeah. Um, now, we uh, we see our favorite franchises often tell stories that stretch the limits of what should be acceptable. Uh, an example of this uh, for Buffy the Vampire Slayer watchers, there's a whole episode where a demon turns everyone in. It's, the whole thing's a musical. All the characters sing and dance. And you're like, wait, this is the Buffy show and they're doing a musical. Uh, you see, you see uh, shows that will stretch formats or kind of push the limits of things. And if it was done too much or poorly, we would hate it, but it's often becomes the things we love the most. And I think a great example of that in the X-Men franchise is the X-Babies. Chris Claremont uh, takes us to Mojo World, which is an, an Anna created space. We just interviewed Anne on the podcast, uh, where there's a, a, a realm of television viewers 
Uh, and he's trying to get ratings all the time by screwing with the X-Men and, and putting them in weird scenarios and TV formats. And he creates the X-Babies, who are so ridiculous, but brought back over and over again in these little arcs. Now, Greg, you got to do a whole series with the X-Babies. Uh, and you got to uh, you got to also incorporate some old Marvel properties from their children, kind of Saturday morning cartoon lineup in the 80s uh, called Star Comics. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got this book and then the story you told with the X-Babies. And, and Justin, Michelle, feel free to uh, pepper any questions in at any time. Yeah, interrupt at any point. Um, so <laughs> the, the, the story came about, as I mentioned before, I'd originally been pitching this Spider-Ham thing uh, with that, that I was, that my sort of log line was, it's who framed Roger Rabbit, but with Spider-Ham and Ben Grimm, the thing as Eddie Valiant. That was the, the oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, so I could send you a link to I, I put the pitch up on one of my websites so you can read the whole thing uh, of what I tend to do there. But again, that didn't fly. And then the editor at Marvel said, do you have any ideas for X babies? Uh, my initial idea for X babies that I never even pitched, but I'll share it here, was that using Cerebro, <laughs> Professor X finds a woman in upstate New York whose mutant power is Every child she has is a is a baby X Men. <laughs> um, so she has this. She's like the little old lady lives in a shoe. Like all she just has is house full of X babies. Um, so I told oh I told one of my friends that, and he said, "Do you actually want to write a comic book? Because like you're they're not going to say yes to that idea." Uh, and he was probably right. So I thought more about it. And at the time, Marvel was starting to do their superhero squad show, which I didn't particularly, it wasn't, it wasn't to my taste. I'll say that. And I was thinking a lot about kids entertainment and the kind of stuff that they make for kids and how soft it can be and how hard it can be. Um, and I came up with this idea for X babies to explore that, which that's like the themes of it, but it's not the plot of it. The plot of it is, uh, the X-Babies have been replaced by cuter versions of X-Babies. And the X-Babies we know uh, are upset about this and set about getting their, their rightful position back as the stars of Mojo TV. Uh, and then in the, in the course of coming up with other properties, I remembered the Star Comics universe or the Star Comics characters. I don't think it was even a universe. But in 1984-85, Marvel launched this, this line of comics called Star Comics. And it was ostensibly comics for kids planetary and, wally the wizard top dog some really obscure characters that you yeah, get in once in a while yeah yeah the four marquee characters that besides spider ham were wally the wizard who was uh a, i mean they were all they were all basically riffs on the harvey characters casper richie rich that kind of thing they, they were drawn in that style even and there were lawsuits at the time particularly over royal roy who was a complete ripoff <laughs> of, of richie, richie rich. rich yeah yeah um so there was royal roy Wally the Wizard, Planet Terry, and Top Dog. Um, so I was able to, I, I figured out a way to incorporate those ideas into this story. Bring, speaking to the initial question of a childhood thing you would bring back, I came up with new versions, new modern versions of all those characters. Um, and yeah, pitched that idea. Uh, the editor I pitched it to, interestingly enough, didn't know the star comic stuff and, and thought I'd created all these characters to which I said, no, no, no. I promise you I didn't create these. I don't want you to go into the pitch meeting and 
look foolish if you start pitching this wrong. Um, but yeah, they they went for it, and we we wrote this four issue thing where the story, yeah, the story basically is the X babies are. It starts out where they're just having an adventure, and then they realize Truman Show style that they've been in a simulation for who knows how long, and then they realize they've been replaced by these very very cute, like we we call them the adorable X babies, and and they're totally sanitized and like their adventures involve growing vegetables and trying vegetables for the first time. Um, like it's, I guess it's like, for me, I would say it's the difference between, and this is unfair because there's a lot of good stuff on like Nick Jr. And, and Disney Jr. But I grew up watching Sesame Street and the electric company and rewatching that stuff. You go, Oh, this is maybe a little more quote unquote dangerous or wild than kids stuff now. Yeah, so I was yeah. kind of taking that, angle of what's safe what isn't safe is the unsafe stuff really that unsafe and the the villain of the piece is a guy named mr veach who is adamant about keeping things safe and comfortable and 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 keeping the ex-babies we know out of sight because they're too dangerous and they're bad news um and then it sort of becomes a wizard of oz type adventure where the ex-babies are going through mojo world and coming across these highly sanitized versions of the star comics characters. Um, and then eventually freeing all of the quote unquote dangerous kids characters and returning them to their rightful homes. The other question I almost asked uh, in intro today is what characters did you love as a kid that you would love to turn into baby versions of heroes now? But then I thought we're all going to say Muppet babies. <laughs> well, would it be, I, I not, to, not to change your question, but I would say maybe the better question is what do you like now as an adult that you would make baby versions of? <laughs> Um, uh, Justin and Michelle, are you guys ex-babies fans? Do you love them? Do you hate them? Um, I I love them. I My first exposure to them was in the 90s. Um, I think I was in like fourth or fifth grade and I was just getting into comics. So I'd visit my shop and I'd always buy like Generation X. And then if there was like a cute cover for something, I would I would buy that also. And I remember seeing the X, there was two X baby covers or like there was a two part like series, I think um, in the nineties. And it had like all the X babies on it and they were like all crying and like a pile up. And I'm like, these are so cute. I, I didn't know what it was about because I was so little and definitely a cover girl. So I, I picked it up and I loved it. Justin, how about you? Um, so my first exposure to them was like the original like 1980s one. Um, at the time, um, I think I was like junior high, high school. And at the time I rented the books from the library. So I saw it in a trade paperback somewhere like, you know, it's been read a few times and I thought it was, you know, a pretty interesting concept. Um, seeing them pop up again, I think it was like the 2000s. Um, like during um, around the House of M era, seeing them pop up again, um, especially with the art that supported it, it was very much, um, it didn't take itself too seriously, which is not a bad thing. Cause you know, you need that little bit of fun, you know, in the books. I, uh, I remember, I'm not going to get the issue number right, but I remember them showing up in X-Men volume two, like, right around the Avalon storyline, like the fall of Avalon where Mojo world crashes in and 
Uh, I, it's gorgeous art, uh, but the X-Babies escape Mojo World and like Gog and Magog come after them. I, uh, I'm glad that old woman in the shoe concept doesn't exist because <laughs> I can barely handle Mojo, but I think it's a really funny idea. <laughs> it was an insane idea. And again, my, my friends were very correct to tell me that that was not a good idea for uh, for pitching to it. To, as basically like I was getting an open invitation. Like, Do you want to write an X-Babies thing? And then for me to show up with, yeah, this lady has babies that look like X-Men is not the best. In the end, the book we wrote or the book we came up with, I wrote that Jacob drew is, is uh, I, I still, I still stand by it. I think you can read it on uh, Marvel Unlimited. Um, it's good. I, uh, I really want to see a nanny in the orphan maker story where nanny takes in all the X babies on Krakoa and just raises them on her own. If you guys know the nanny character, <laughs> that would be, yes. would be insane. <laughs> or bring back Dazzler. Great. I think she was babysitting them. At well, that's right. She had them. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. She was taking care of them in the Mojo verse. That's right. She was. God, the X babies are so stupid, but so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, they always, they, you know, I, I feel like in their best form, they always had some sort of satirical bent to them. They were always saying like they were silly and, and absurd, but in their original concept, it was a play on Muppet babies and sort of the babification of stuff. So, Without, you know, this is going to sound like me patting myself on the back, but I tried to do something similar, like say something beyond, like it exists as a story. You can read it and it all tracks. It's like, okay, it's a big high flying adventure. And the end of it, because of what Jacob did in the art, is unbelievable. Like it was more than, you know, my, my script said, you know, and then they're confronted by five to 10 adorable ex babies, your choice of who you want to draw. Uh, well, and his, Jacob, his art style completely changes with the, the characters in these different yeah. formats. It's really impressive, actually. The art style changes. And then he went ahead and drew every single X character ever um, in some form or another. And it is, I mean, we then spent, or I spent a good amount of time pulling color reference for the colorist because there were so many characters like, and and he drew all of them. It was, it's, it's beautiful. That last issue, which is one giant fight scene is just every panel is just packed full of visual uh, delight. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the series focuses on baby storm and baby Wolverine and baby Cyclops. But yeah, in those last two issues, we get baby strong guy and baby maggot and baby Yugo girl and baby dupe. Like there's all these, these, all these versions of, I'll, I'll be posting some images on Twitter, but it's, 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 it's bananas. Blast. It's, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. I mean, they were characters he was drawing that I didn't know who they were. Like I, I have knowledge of the X movie, but I don't have a deep, uh, you know, you, you say something like the Avalon story. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure that happened. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, seeing those pages show up or was really, I mean, he, he did a hell of a job. He, he deserves much more credit than he's ever gotten for what he did on those pages. Yeah. We'll make sure to tag him in some of this stuff as we're, as we're promoting. And I'd love to talk to him sometime too. Uh, how was the series received, Greg? <laughs> um, well, for the people that I reached out to and sent copies, the reviews were good, but I didn't see much beyond that. So I don't, it was one of those things where I'm not sure how interested anybody but Jacob and I were in this miniseries. Uh, so I don't know how it was received. I, I've never really seen reviews beyond one website of somebody I was talking to at the time. Uh, so I don't entirely know. I've seen some things on like Goodreads where people think it was stupid or, uh, didn't quite get it. Um, I've since heard other podcasts talk about it and they seem to appreciate it years later. 
Um, and then I got one letter from a guy who it was a very moving letter. It was a, a guy who had who was on the spectrum and as a kid loved the X babies and then was reading the uh, not the X babies, the Star Comics characters and his comic shop owner had pulled the issues for him because the star characters are in there and he was reading it and the letter was great of just like I can't believe you've turned these star characters into villains because that's how they're presented and then spoiler alert that's not what ends up happening and his reaction to the story was really just like perfect and and that was very satisfying in that in that cliche of if you make one you know, comedian if you make one person laugh sort of way of course you want more of those people to react the same way but I I don't think it was it was it was not received in the way I would have liked for it to have been received. I would have liked for people to go, whoa, look at this diamond in the rough. Look at this thing. And then been able to do a sequel because we were playing with ideas of what to do next. Um, and there was something seeded in that miniseries that would have led to the, although it actually, it's actually makes sense for this podcast. So the sequel was going to be, there's a scene in X-Babies. I think it's issue three. Can't remember. But at one point, the X-Babies are chasing this camera and it leads them down into a sewer where there's a bunch of locked doors. And they say, it's more locks, which was a joke about the more locks that, again, I don't think anybody got, but they find all <laughs> these locks. It's, oh, it's just more locks. So the, the bit that we had, we had a chance to do a sequel behind those doors were going to be X baby versions of Iceman, Marvel Girl, uh, Angel, and Beast. And they were going to be the original X babies. And it was going to be this conflict of which team Cyclops wanted to be on the original X babies or the X babies he had been hanging out with the whole time. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't get to do that. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, there's a love for people. You use the word babification, which some people used to describe Michelle, but this is a different type of babification where we love baby versions of our characters, right? We see, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Chris Giruso or in the mini Marvel stuff, or I, I, if I'm saying the last name right, Chris, Chris uh, Iliopoulos or even Iliopoulos. Or, uh, Iliopoulos or even Fred Hembeck uh, over the years has done a lot of these types of uh, you know, you get baby Blue Hulk running around or baby Spider-Man, Lil Petey. Like there's all these different versions of this over the years. People really love this type of format. Spider-Ham being something completely different, obviously, where we're using yeah. animal baby versions of these characters. Uh, really fun. And we're not going to spend time talking about this a lot, but for a lot of people who read books in the 90s, you mentioned your story Fastlane with, with Glenn Hurdling. <laughs> Uh, Fastlane, uh, I reread in, in preparation for this, this interview, and it, it is heavy-handed for sure. When I was a reader at the time, a teenage reader, I was so annoyed with this story because, not because of your story, but because they put it right in the middle of the comic book. Yeah. So you're flipping pages, and here's, you know, Cyclops versus Juggernaut, and then there's, you're like, a totally different story for six pages in the middle, and then you'd be back to your X-Men book fighting. And I was like, what are they doing? Like, it was such an awful placement. Uh, oh, terrible. But, but a really yeah. fun story still. Like, you did a good job with it. Well, thank you. No, it was it was an incredibly fun story to draw because I got to draw Spider-Man. I got to draw in the last part of it. I got to draw, I think, most of the Avengers and some X-Men characters running around. Um, the page rate was better because it was through creative services and not through Marvel Publishing. So I got paid really well. Uh, and the circulation was huge. I mean, that thing was in every Marvel book. Yeah. yeah. And also Boys Life, Girls Life, uh, Smith Smithsonian Magazine, Muse. Like it was everywhere. Like this thing had, I was told it had a circulation bigger than Jim Lee's X-Men number one. I cannot verify that number, but that's what I was told. So I know a lot of people saw this thing. It's still a thing people talk about. Um, but yeah, it's placement in the books. When I was there, uh, 
I was working on Avengers one and a half, which was a Roger Stern, Bruce Tim one shot. Oh, sure. And the, and the premise of that was it was supposed to be an issue that came out between Avengers number one, and Avengers number two in 1963 or whatever year it was. And the entire thing was styled to look like an old comic from the fake ads and everything else. And I went, I was at Marvel at the time and I went down to our manufacturing department. I said, listen, I know they're putting this insert in every issue that's coming out this month. Can we please not have it appear in this comic? And I'm saying this as the person who drew it. I'm asking you, please do not insert this eight page thing in Avengers one and a half. And they said, you got it. And they made a note. And then the issue came from the printer and it had the insert in it. And uh, I tore it out of mine copy, but yeah, it, it was, it was not a great, I know it annoyed people more than anything else. Um, and then sometimes it's a very, it's a fun compliment where they'll say they're flipping through the book and they didn't realize it was a different story because the art style was similar. Like it, the art was good enough that it didn't feel like it felt like a Marvel comic. And yeah, that I yeah. take as a, I'll, I'll take that as a certain amount of praise. Well, and you, when you're reading 20 or 30 Marvel books at a time like I was, and that story was in every one of the books, I was like, come on, I already read this. <laughs> no, it was it was bananas. It was everywhere and it was bananas. Yeah. No, that's great exposure, though. Uh, Greg, when I first reached out to you and I said, this is an X-Men podcast, you, I think your response was something like, sure, but why would you want to talk to me? And I said, for many reasons, but mostly X-Babies. Yeah. So there's actually a lot to talk about. I'm actually really impressed with uh, with your work. Uh, Thank you. Michelle and Justin, uh, any questions for Greg before we move on to our issue review today? I do have, <clears throat> I do have one. I love that idea that you had where Cyclops runs into the original team and has to choose. Do you think you would ever try and repitch that or maybe do something like digitally on Marvel Unlimited um, with that? I don't know. This gets into more complicated matters of, because that was over 10 years ago. That was 2009 that we did that. Um, and a lot of things have changed in the comic business and at Marvel and the kinds of stuff I do. Um, so I don't know. I, I It would be the sort of thing that if somebody came to me and said, there's this weird resurgence for the one X-Babies miniseries you did 11 years ago. Did you ever have a sequel? But realistically speaking, that's not happening. Like the, the X Babies thing that that got a lot of attention was the the one shot Scotty Young did X number of years ago. And if they're gonna do an X Babies thing, it's gonna be Scotty. I know that. It's it's just, you know, realistically speaking. And that's fine. Scotty's great. Uh oh my so, god, uh just babification. I just was remembering Scotty Young's Wizard of Oz series, of course, which is incredible. Yeah. Or all the covers he does, the, the variant covers that he's been doing for years of just baby versions of everybody. Um, interestingly enough, Scotty Young did the covers for X-Babies back in 2009. Those were, the, those were technically his first baby covers before he made every baby cover in the world. Um, so it's sort of, it's, it's like a lot of ideas that I've come up with that end up on the cutting room floor uh, that I don't know that they have a place anymore. Like I pitched at one point, uh, a a one shot called Star Fox's Swing and Spring Break Super Special, and the premise of that was Thanos, who's who, who in the comics his whole mo was winning the the love of death, and that's where Infinity Gauntlet comes from, all that stuff. So my premise was Thanos is running out of ideas, so he goes to his his half brother, whatever Star Fox is, and he says, "Can you teach me what you're doing so that I can win the hand of death?" And Star Fox is like, "I'm cheating. I have powers that." 
like I can affect people's pleasure senses. So I'm not really the guy for you, but let's go down to earth. I know some superheroes that are pretty good at dating and they'll give you advice. And the whole thing is a comedy issue of Thanos getting dating advice from Human Torch and Tony Stark and Wonder Man. And it, it was ridiculous. So I pitched that and that actually got approved before it got canceled. I drew six pages of it. Um, I pitched a there was a, a Thanos mini Marvel story like that too. I remember that. Uh, I, I, I well, he, he did, yeah. Chris did a, a series of strips where he was like, it was uh, he kept like giving flowers and stuff to death, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, I haven't seen that in a long time, yeah. Um, and then I pitched back in '98 when Deadpool was like on the verge of cancellation, they did a promotion to to called Deadpool Month, and for that, I pitched a one shot that would have been Deadpool with the Spice Girls. Um, so I okay. tend to come up with these things that are very strange and then I get, I get very attached to them and then they don't go anywhere, but I like at no point am I going to try to pitch these things again, but they, they exist in my memory as like, that would have been fun. Uh, if Deadpool, so, if Deadpool was a spice girl, he would be what spice? St- stanky spice. <laughs> I mean, he'd probably be some kind of like. I mean, psychotic spice, right? Oh, I like psychotic spice for him. I was thinking crazy, but psychotic sounds better. I mean, now that they, there is like, maybe he'd be just like everything bagel spice. Mm, okay. Ooh, ooh, Michelle, what's your spice girl name? Um, I think like, I don't know. Like, It's a tough one. That is. I yeah. mean, maybe something to do with like waffles. So maybe like, I don't know, like cinnamon spice. Mm, okay. Like playing on the last name. Uh, J- Justin and Greg, do you guys have Spice Girl names? Hmm. You'd, you'd think for all the thought I've given Spice Girls, I would have one, but <laughs> it'll come to you. It'll come yeah. to you. I think. Like, I think it like, has to find you. It has to find you. And yeah, I'd probably say Peachy Spice. <laughs> I, I feel like I get would I would get pegged as Zaddy Spice, although that is not oh. a name I use in my regular life. <laughs> that yes. That is your Spice Girl name for sure. Uh, I just happened to have uh, right next to my computer uh, a Scotty Young Baby Marauders. Like that was just, I just looked over and that was sitting right there. So yeah, we'll post some baby stuff. Uh, Okay, so if we're okay, we probably should move into our issue review. Greg, thank you for uh, answering all of our questions and sharing. I'm a a huge fan. Uh, Happy to. Thank you so much. Thank you for for finding me on the internet. Oh, I'm so glad you responded. Uh, So as we jump into today, I want to give just a little context very quickly. So Roy Thomas, one of his close friends back in the 1960s was Gary Friedrich. And this was a time uh, you hear Roy talking a lot about uh, you know, hanging out on Bleecker Street and and seeing all the kind of crazy hippie stuff going on. And a lot of the new agey stuff in the old comics would show up from there. Uh, but Gary Friedrich is a close friend of his that Roy recruited directly to work in comics. Uh, he had a pretty long career into the 1970s. Uh, uh, Gary Friedrich was alive from 1943 to 2018, so he just died a few years back. He's best known for his runs on Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos and on Monster of Frankenstein. And he's one of the co-creators of uh, John Blaze, the uh, ghostwriter, um, uh, who he had lawsuits over right up until the time that he died, frankly. Uh, so Friedrich is uh, short-lived in the X-Men world. He takes over in this issue with X-Men number 44 and writes for four issues. And then he leaves and Arnold Drake takes over. So for our next few issues, we'll be covering Gary Friedrich's brief run on the old 60s X-Men. So as we're jumping into this, uh, let's hear some of your thoughts on the cover of this book. 
Uh, we have the X-Men featuring in giant letters, white on red, the angel. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, we see the character Red Raven, who most people probably didn't know unless they read his couple of appearances back in the 1940s. Uh, zooming with Red Wings down toward Angel, who's down on the ground. There's some weird bodies and stasis tubes off to the side. And it says Red Raven, Red Raven uh, in, in letters. Uh, what were your thoughts on this cover, everybody? So looking at the cover, the art itself is very impactful and to the point. Like you have Angel and Red Raven front and center. And the movement lines from Red Raven and even the lines around Angel give a sense of impact and urgency, like everything really does depend on him. Um, one thing I noticed too, like after 43 is um, a couple of the issues are very much the X-Men featuring spotlight on yeah, X yeah. character, this one being Angel. Um, <laughs> it's very much... Um, this is going to be such an obscure reference. Well, not really obscure. Um, it's very, it's giving very much Pussycat Dolls featuring Nicole Scherzinger, even though, you know, she is a Pussycat Doll. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing that stands out very quickly to me is the difference in Red Raven's wings as opposed to Angel's. Angel's are all feathery and Red Raven's are very like leathery or bat-like almost. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Michelle and Greg, did you have thoughts on the cover? Um. Just that I, it's crazy because <clears throat> I work at a comic book shop and we <clears throat> we did a clean sale recently and this cover looked really familiar to me. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, we had this in store. So like I've seen it like in person and it was just cool to like, kind of put that together like, oh, I get to read that. Like how fun. It's a it's an odd cover. Um, I'm thinking of how to draw comics to Marvel way which was a, a, a seminal book in my development as a cartoonist. And one of the things it talks about in cover design is in general, you kind of don't want to show the back of a character if you can help it. And this sure. is the most of the real estate of this cover is Red Raven's back. And I get it. He's got the wings, but you can show wings from the front. I, I would have composed a different cover. I might've gone with not as dark a blue on the backdrop. I don't, I don't feel like the red of Red Raven pop strong enough off of that i maybe would have gone with a yellow um yeah it's a, it's an odd cover uh, i haven't really looked at it when I, I read it online so i kind of only glanced at the cover i didn't even give it much thought it probably looked pretty good on the stands though the angel the, the logo for angel is simple but bold you can see it um even with red raven's feet going right over right over it uh and then it's it's interesting just what the composition is because relative to the story, it is <laughs> it's a weird. I mean, I know we'll talk more about what happens in the story, but this particular scene is so unimportant to the grand scheme of what's going on. It's such an odd choice for the cover. Those those dudes in stasis are are yeah. 
Yeah, we'll get. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil too much about the spoilers we're going to do. This is a very forgettable issue of the X Men. Like we'll just say that up front. Now, uh, putting putting all this in context, Marvel Comics got its start. You went through a couple different names. Atlas Comics most prominently uh, told a lot of World War II stories in the late '30s, early '40s, and here we have the '60s revival, starting with Fantastic Four number one. Uh, and we have kind of the creators slowly seeding in stories by bringing back World War II heroes, most prominently the Submariner and Fantastic Four and then Captain America and the Avengers, right? Like huge characters. Bucky has been uh, huge in the comics over the years. The Human, uh, Torch, also, the Human the, Torch arguably was... I was just going to mention. Yeah. So we, we also have major characters who've been named after 40s characters. So the Human Torch, Johnny Storm and the Fantastic Four was named after the Human Torch, Jim Hammond from the first Marvel comic. And there was a story right around the same time in a Fantastic Four annual in which those two characters got to meet. The Vision in the Avengers is named after Arcus the Vision. And there's stories where they uh, kind of weave in together. And then we've, we've had the Invaders, which Roy Thomas uh, uh, started in the 70s and the Liberty Legion and other teams that were retroactively added starring these 40 characters, 40s characters. Another really famous one is the 12, if you guys read that, bringing back a bunch of characters from the 30s. It's great, great stuff. Uh, Mystery Men is another one. So in this issue, we have Angel, who's Marvel's big winged character, being reintroduced to one of their original winged characters, even though he's kind of a throwaway, forgettable character in the context of things. So that's kind of the premise here. And this is this is a time when the comics were considered to take place about 20 years after World War II, right? So with the sliding time scale, things have changed. Initially, Captain America was only in the iceberg 20 years. Now he's been in the iceberg 80 years because the, the time, World War II is frozen in time, pun intended, but we get this arc of time that passes in between those in which we have uh, years or decades that pass. So we're going to talk about Red Raven a little bit today, but there's a little bit of context for why this issue might have been profound at the time. Uh, Greg, go ahead. Do you know what Red Raven's deal was yeah. in the 40s? Yeah, I reread the issue uh, prior to this. Do we want to save that? Because uh, I have no yes, research let's, at all. Let's okay. save the conversation for just okay. a minute because we're going to talk about his weird, weird origins. <laughs> um, so as we get into this, uh, Justin, I'm going to have you summarize the first five pages for us. But I want to note, I love the Toad, but he is so punchable in this issue <laughs> before we begin. <laughs> He's drawn particularly like um grotesque like not a dig at it's not a dig at the art at all like the character himself is drawn in a more grotesque kind of pudgy manner you know yeah he's adhd to the 10th degree in this issue i can hardly stand him <laughs> so yeah justin why don't you take the first five pages for us uh, tell us what happens and we'll talk about it okay so i guess given a little context um I guess previously on X-Men, um, after Xavier's death, I guess it's a kind of short summation of last before getting into this to give context on the first page. Um, so Magneto and Toad are standing over the bodies of the X-Men, gloating over their defeat. Toad very much is kissing up to Magneto and is seeking that validation and suggests that Magneto kills the X-Men. Quicksilver crashes the funeral and Magneto observes on the monitor. The X-Men listen to... Xavier's post-mortem message warning Magneto is back and basically the X-Men attack Magneto and are defeated which is why he is standing over them. Quicksilver stops Magneto from killing the X-Men suggesting that maybe he hold them prisoner instead. Um, Toad disagrees with it um, 
and continues to encourage Magneto to kill the X-Men, but Magneto ultimately agrees with Pietro saying he's right and that he must savor in his victory and may even convince the X-Men to join him. Um, since it was Quicksilver's idea to spare the X-Men, he is responsible for them. Pietro suggests they are imprisoned. Magneto agrees and has Toad imprison the unconscious X-Men. Um, in the background, Wanda's giving a little side-eye at Magneto and Toad, which amused me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Toad gets to um, imprison all the X-Men. He has Cyclops' eyes shielded and binds Cyclops from moving. Marvel Girl is secured in hypnomagnetic bands, preventing her from using her telekinesis. Um, I think you can get those at Bed Bath & Beyond. (laughs) It seems like such a very specific item, but I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beast is kept in titanium handcuffs, and Angel is kept in an electrified cage, and Iceman is held in a thermonuclear heat tube. While imprisoning the X-Men, he continues to gloat and devote himself to Magneto. Um, Toad is very much the OG Stan. (laughs) Um, He stands Magneto hard. (laughs) Number one fan. (laughs) So after the X-Men are imprisoned, um, they eventually regain consciousness and... Jean Grey slash Marvel Girl calls out Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch for rejoining Magneto. Um, Pietro rebuttals back at them, telling them that's not exactly the plan and that what they are doing is for the greater good of mutant kind. Um, Cyclops, of course, makes a sarcastic comment back at Quicksilver, and Quicksilver replies back, specifically at Beast, that the X-Men will regret abandoning mutant kind for not going... For them. He and Wanda leave, and Toad reports his observations of the confrontation to Magneto, and Magneto starts to second-guess sparing the X-Men. Um, after the room is cleared, Angel notices an object conveniently nearby and uses it to disintegrate the bars to his cage. Cyclops thinks it's a trap after... Angel gets out of the cage, but um, Angel trusts Cyclops' orders and tries to squeeze out a window, but his wings are in the way. So he decides to find another way out. Um, It is worth noting that um, Cyclops tells Angel to go to the Avengers specifically. I think it's, well, I guess a couple pages from now, it's in relation to Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch's um, former membership of the team. Yeah, they just barely quit the Avengers to rejoin the Brotherhood. I think yeah, that's the Yeah, because I'm like, what about the Fantastic Four, you know? Because, you know, a few issues ago, you know, they kind of had a little run-in with them too, but it makes sense for the context, you know, with Quicksilver well, and Scarlet Witch. Well, and the Avengers also just fought Magneto at the United Nations uh, in their title a couple of issues ago, too. So I think I think that's yeah. the primary context. Absolutely. Uh, amazing summary. Uh, 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 Michelle and Greg, any thoughts or questions uh, or observations as we cover these first five pages? Oh, yeah. Um, on page four, panel two, when, when Cyclops gives his sarcastic response to Quicksil- uh, Quicksilver's homo superior, we're better than like his reasons for leaving the Avengers. Cyclops says, yeah, we've heard that story before from a guy named Charlie Brown. And I, I want to know which, which Fanagraphics volume of the original Charlie Brown strips has that speech in it, because 
that was such a strange there's a couple of things quicksilver says that are wild but that was the first one and and i don't know if if that was a great insult in 68 i don't it was such an odd response to everything i was i was confused by it honestly <laughs> it makes no sense and then he yells at beast who didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of understood, uh, maybe maybe I'm reading it wrong. I kind of understood that. Uh, so it's Cyclops yelling Charlie Brown. So yeah. uh, he says, I, I, it sounds almost like he's trying to infantilize uh, Magneto's philosophy a little bit is kind of how I took it. Like Just, uh, Charlie Brown's a weird, I mean, Charlie Brown's yeah, pretty it famous. Was, it was a 68. weird thing. But yeah, I think it was almost like he was saying, yeah, your, your leader's a joke. Like I could have learned about him in a, in a Peanuts comic strip. It's kind of how I took the insult, but it's a right. weird, it's a weird place, but agreed. It's, it's an odd one. That, that was my, my big observation between pages one and five. Uh, Michelle, anything from you? I don't know. Toad is very murdery. Mm-hmm. Like, he just wants <laughs> to kill. and. But he's not wrong, is he? I mean, dang, they can't like talk it out. I mean, if he if Magneto wants to win, he should have killed these kids. Yeah, <laughs> probably should have. Now, is Toad a Stan or is Toad a Simp? Toad is mm. both. Uh, okay. Yeah, we uh yeah. we do a character trial, like a lengthy focused character episode on my podcast once a month, Greg, and we're getting ready shortly after this actually to do a focused episode on Toad, uh, and I timed it for this storyline uh, because. Toad and Magneto are about to have a very big falling out, uh, oh. from which they've never quite recovered ever since like 1968 in the comics. But Toad oh. is like the mentally ill court jester that Magneto smacks around, poster child for codependency. Uh, the original Harley British, Quinn. He has a British accent, which makes it worse. <laughs> would, would he be the original Harley Quinn? I mean, except Harley Quinn's likable. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> in terms of their devotion to a to a, a person who is not re- returning their affections, uh, I found it fascinating. We get 15 pages, and this is a lot of story packed in here. But there's a whole page de- devoted to the different types of traps used to keep each of the X Men, which I thought was really fascinating. And how and how Magneto is responsible for all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Gary Friedrich's jumping in in the middle of a story here. He's jumping in like full force, like, yeah, let's tell the story Roy was telling and keep it going. I, I think overall it's effective. But I did uh, like that the, the beast cuffs also contain his feet, which is not in the text. He just calls them handcuffs and they're hand and foot cuffs. His hands are over his feet under the yeah. cuff. <laughs> beast, beast was always my favorite of the original X-Men, so I, I pay particular attention to him. He's the I, coolest. Uh, I feel, like those, I feel like those cuffs can be purchased at your local sex shop for those that may be interested in looking. They might be. You have to have a certain amount of flexibility. You got to be able to put hands on feet. Probably not impossible. Uh, Michelle, do you want to take the next five pages for us? Tell us what happens. Oh, sure. Um, and I know, so, I know these are weird. I know this is a weird set of five pages. <laughs> this is weird. It, is, it is very weird. Um, so Angel trying to escape can't fit his wings through that tiny window. <clears throat> so he's got a blast through uh, Magneto Pietro. Angel is trying to escape. He can't fit his wings through that window. So he blasts through Toad, Pietro and Magneto. And then all of a sudden Magneto tells Quicksilver to use his new flying powers to go after Angel and I'm super confused because Quicksilver is fast, but he 
I've never known him to be able to fly. That so seems this, a little fantastical. This is a brief thing for him that happened in the Avengers when he was a member of the team. Where if he vibrates himself quickly enough, he can briefly float for a few seconds or shoot himself kind of up in the air. Sort of like he can run across water, right? He can go okay. short distances through the air. They call it flying, but you see him fall falling later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he runs out of steam. He's like, oh no, I can't. I can, yeah, I can't I can, make it. I can fly for three seconds if I jump off a bridge. <laughs> the door is right? the door is he opened for North Star. I know someone in particular who will hate me for that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, Quicksilver tries to go after him, but he loses steam and ends up falling, and feels like he failed his dad. Uh, and then Do you know the angel- Magneto's his dad at this point. No. Okay. Oh uh, well, he he feels like he failed Magneto. Like he's trying, he's that, I don't that know, wasn't to get meant back in his good graces. That wasn't meant as a as a correction. I just wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's not until uh, it's quite some time from now before he learns that Magneto's his dad, but also isn't later. <laughs> <laughs> he is, but he isn't. <laughs> Depending on the retcon, <laughs> they got to go on Mori and figure it out. <laughs> I know, Magneto, you are maybe the father. <laughs> That's right. Um, so Angel is uh, flying around, and I believe he thinks about going to the Avengers as well, but then he also starts to lose steam, and he isn't going to make it, so he <clears throat> clings to a rock that he sees floating in the ocean. And then all of a sudden, this tiny rock like shoots up, and it becomes this ginormous um, mountain. He's on top of it. He's like, which Angel must have said, "Holy fuck!" (laughs) Yeah, he's like, "Oh my god!" And then I like how he gets severely distracted by this, where he's, "Oh, there's some sort of cave. There's some sort of entrance." Like I know that my friends are imprisoned and probably being tortured, but it's cool if I have this little side adventure, right? Like they're not gonna get mad, and. Yeah, this is where it just kind of gets a little bonkers for me. So when he goes into the island, I first think like, oh, these look like a bunch of celestials. <laughs> but, but they're really just like these these preservation vats, I guess. I was not sure what they were. And then um, and then we meet this this flying uh, red raven guy just comes out of nowhere and he's like excuse me what are you doing in my cave angel um or no he doesn't even say his name he's just like get out of here like i gotta defend my my celestial vats and then angel feels like he's hallucinating he's like is that a man flying towards me like what is what is going on and then we have a fight between angel and um, Red Raven, which seems silly because neither one of them knows who each other is. They just like kind of go in swinging, like not asking questions, not, not like, hey, excuse me, excuse me, sir, why are you in my cave? And where Angel can be like, oh, you know, I was actually on my way to see the Avengers and I needed a break. And I feel like that conversation could have totally bypassed this fight. Um, so then they... Yeah, they get into it. Um, they looks like, like they 
throw a couple snarky um, comments around here. Like Angel says, uh, this cost sounds trying to cut in on my flying tool. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they just, they just fight. I think and it's then, fascinating how their costumes are bizarrely inverted versions of each other. Like Angel's red and yellow is is Red Raven's yellow and red. I think it's really interesting. Uh, that's almost the most fascinating uh, decision that was made. I almost wonder if when they redesigned Angel's costume, they tried to make it a parallel of Red Raven's on purpose. Uh, but I don't have insight into that. The uh, the the symmetry of their color their costumes is is fascinating. It is kind of cool to see these like two wing dudes fighting it out for a couple pages. I, I think it's kind of fun. Um, uh, Justin and Greg, thoughts on this section? Looking at these last couple of pages, one thing that really pops out to me are the primary colors. Like you got the reds, yellows, and blues. They just really stand out in particular here. Yeah, yeah. And um, going back to when Angel first enters the cave as well, um, I'm glad Angel is at least self-aware of the inconvenience um, his need to explore the cave poses to his team, even if it's life and death. <laughs> On and the whole, um, the other thing I noticed too was him monologuing out loud as opposed to just thinking about it. Um, he probably wouldn't have gotten caught. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, there, he, we clearly, he see thought balloons on page seven. So it seems strange that he just starts talking out loud. Uh, that seems like a, a real mistake on Angel's part. Uh, and then also on page seven, when he comes up with his great idea to catch to go to the Avengers, it's like, did he forget what happened two pages ago when Cyclops said, go to the Avengers? It's his idea. He, yeah, was, tired. <laughs> he was tired from flying in the storm and then the rock mountain propeller. But that was before he got tired. And then, and then going back one more page, Quicksilver says, Go get the angel. Quicksilver says, oh, yeah, I can fly now. There's a there's a footnote. And it says, as fiercely portrayed in Avengers, question mark. Sorry about so, that, Stan. <laughs> so yeah. my, my, the big takeaway I'm getting from this entire issue is the very first credit of the entire book is edited by Stan Lee. And I don't think he did a very good job. Well, or maybe he was like, listen, I didn't approve this, but it's in here and I can't take his it name, back. So. He put his name on it. I'm saying... Oh. He did. I don't think he read this issue. In that very next panel, oh. we also have Angel saying, "Professor, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing. Professor X always said to act now and think later, which I think is basically Charles Xavier's mantra for life." <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> yeah, this um, is the fight scene is fun. I mean, it is it is well, you know, big four panel pages of just big swings and and action, which is yes, it's a trope that superheroes fight before they talk, but without that, this issue would really be. <sighs> clunker i mean so things were weird but then they're about to get real weird greg walk us through pages 11 through okay 15. what happens okay. and we can talk about the red raven of it all all right let's see uh so they have fought and red raven says hey uh let me let me explain let me explain what's going on so the first thing red raven says i meant you no harm so red raven's a giant liar because red raven attacks Instantly came at him. Yeah, came at him, bro. So then, Raven, Red Raven starts talking. There's a the third panel of this conversation is colored entirely blue, except for their their faces, which doesn't make any sense. But that's not story related. But I just needed to point that out. Yeah, it's weird. 
one of my observations. So Red Raven starts to explain that he was, he's a human person who was born and was on an airplane from Europe to America. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this airplane gets lost because it ends up in some sky city where the bird people live in their island in the sky. Yes. He is the only survivor of this crash, this tiny baby wearing a wild little red romper. I don't know what that outfit would be called, but it's it's real Christmassy looking. <laughs> so he's the lone survivor of this plane crash with these bird, these shirtless bird people. And all these shirtless bird people is like, we will raise him as our own. And the leader of the bird people says, all right, then you who wants to raise this kid, you're responsible for him. Cut to his 21st birthday or around his 21st birthday where Red Raven realizes there's something different about him than every other person who has wings on their back. So we learn that Red Raven is very stupid. Um, so he comes to this realization that he's different. And because he realizes that he's a human, he's like, hey, maybe we shouldn't attack these humans uh, that you the, the bird people want to obliterate the human race. No indication as to why. They just want to obliterate the human race. And he says, well, I'm human. So maybe don't. Maybe leave them alone. And nobody's listening to him. They're like, no, we want to destroy the human race. So the bird man says, well, I'm going to go talk to the leader of the bird men and not just the citizens of the bird people, bird people. So then we go back into the flashback. And now Red Raven is in his full costume. Uh, no explanation for that either. He's He went from being shirtless to now in a full body suit, head to toe. No wings yet. He's just in his suit. And he says, hey, uh, maybe we shouldn't attack the earthlings because there's so many of them. They would destroy us. Like, it's a, it's a foolish mission. Please don't go. Attacking the earth will only mean the, de the demise of the bird people. And the leader says... Uh, no, we're going to attack and destroy Earth or the humans or whatever. So then Red Raven decides, I need to do something to stop this attack because it will just, if, if they attack Earth and the humans, the bird people will be extinct. So he then uses some sort of gas to knock all the bird people out, the entire population of bird people, and put them in stasis tubes for 20 years. Oh my God, this is so stupid. <laughs> It's incredibly stupid. So he he's he puts the entire population of these bird people who all look exactly the same in this one image on page 13. Yeah. So they're all in these stasis tubes and they're going to be in these tubes for 20 years. Cut to now. So now we know Red Raven is at least 41 years old. Uh, and they, these bird people are about to wake up any day now. And he explains that this is a huge secret that he can't tell anybody. And he, he, hid, that it's, he hid the whole island underwater so no one could find it until yeah. Angel touched this rock one day. Yeah, it's a <laughs> well, it's a huge secret. Nobody can know. He repeats that it's a secret four or five times. And then he does something. and It's unclear in this drawing. I thought he shot Angel, but it, I think he just hits him with a wing. But he's like, nobody can know. And I'm going to knock you out. Even though you know, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to knock you out and get you to safety. And I'm going to put the entire race asleep again for another 20 years. Because now the story is because 
these bird people are so dangerous, they will destroy the human race. Whereas two pages ago, the human race could, was going to outnumber them and destroy them. So the story keeps changing. Rudrave is a liar. And, oh, there's another point in this story where after he puts all of his brethren to sleep, the people, he, then he has wings. There's no, again, no explanation as to where these wings come from, how he knows how to use them. The wings appear. This is a terrible origin story. It's terrible. It doesn't explain anything. He knocks him out. Then he knocks himself out for another 20 years. Angel wakes up on a floating log. Says, I have a feeling I'm going to see that guy again. I don't know why he has that feeling. There's no sense to that. And then he he doesn't. He doesn't ever see him again. That that was my question. (laughs) Does he ever see him again? And then he says, well, I better get over to the Avengers and help my friends who are trapped so later writers have tried to figure this story out because it's weird and i'm not going to go into the full details of it all I'm gonna, let me, I, oh, oh, I, I think you're being polite to say it's weird i'm gonna say it's bad yeah that's fair that's fair <laughs> make it make sense <laughs> so red raven first appears in a comic book called red raven comics number one in may 1940 And then he's not really used anymore. Roy Thomas has this huge fondness for World War II characters. He brings him back in this issue. Later writers are going to go back and fill in some of the blanks. And you see it in a bunch of weird places. But I'm going to let listeners, because this is an X-Men podcast, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this character is pretty inconsequential. The Inhumans is a race of superpowered people on the planet who have been there for thousands of years. Uh, They are experiments of the Kree who, who... they use Terrigen Mist to unlock their powers. They're frankly a little bit mutant-like, uh, but they live in secret societies. And the story that gets told later is there is an effort of basically eugenics thousands of years ago in the Inhumans where they're trying to control only Terrigen uh, uh, mutations that make people look pretty because there's a lot of people that are looking kind of grotesque or weird. And during this time, there is a succession of Inhumans who all have wings who decide to form their own civilization. I'm oversimplifying the story, but they leave the Inhuman society and form their own civilization on a floating island that they call Sky Island. And they control their genetics so that everybody on the island has wings. That's kind of the weird story that gets told later retroactively. Red Raven's story of being a human on this island Uh, He eventually gets uh, his own pair of mechanical wings, returns to Earth, and becomes a superhero. Roy Thomas is the one that goes back and adds Red Raven to the Liberty Legion, which is a comic book he wrote in Marvel premiere 29 and 30 in 1976. And then we later see his stories in the Avengers and the, not the Avengers, excuse me, in the Invaders and some weird places, including the Nova comics. Uh, we do see the, the bird people referenced on occasion. The most prominent of the bird people, who's still not a prominent character, is the Nova villain Condor, if you guys are familiar with that villain. Uh, but ultimately, we also later learn that who Angel fought here is not actually the Red Raven. It's a construct built to look like the Red Raven. Uh, and the real Red Raven has not yet been revived. So this is like an an automation designed to keep the people in suspended animation. So uh, later writers have tried to flesh this story out, but it's nonsense. Uh, tell me some of your thoughts on this weird so, origin story. So in the 40s, was he from a race of bird people from a bird island in the sky? Yes, he was a baby that crashed on this bird island, which is very like colonial story, right? Like Tarzan sure. crashes in the jungle and rules the of whole course. jungle. It's, it's got that kind of element to it. Okay, so so that's that's the only piece of his origin 
that is connected to the 40s. Basically. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if you can, uh, you can find copies of or reprints of Red Raven Comics number one if you're interested. But there are like the Marvel handbooks have done write-ups on all of this. Uh, there's there's people who've done the research, so you don't have to because it's not really that consequential. Uh, Justin and Michelle, any thoughts on this weird origin story? I so, think you guys oh. said it nicely. It's weird. <laughs> like, I I don't really understand why they included him in this in the series like it could have been anybody that angel ran into and it's just so random well it's it's yeah i mean it's it's roy thomas saying i want to do this <laughs> thing i want to put my stamp on on red raven i'm bringing red raven back and uh for for a character he liked so much i i feel like he did a real disservice to red raven this story makes no sense there's nothing yeah. there's nothing that makes us like red raven and want to see him again his motivations are bunk yeah. Post, and, and they change. I'll post some images from his 1940s story when we do this. Uh, his costume is similar, but not the same. It's very 1940s. If you've read any of those old Golden Age books, it's it's very, very that energy. Uh, he has he, those we, wild ear plates on his head. Uh, no, he has uh, he has no mask on in that one. He's he's got uh, brown hair and like the leathery wings and like a red suit. He does have the same belt with the insignia on it. Um, but it's, it's, it's a similar costume. There's no yellow on it. Uh, so it's, it's different. Like they, they reincorporated some pieces, but not all. I just love that the wings just appear. There's just, <laughs> he, show up uh, there's a story about him getting the wings. Like his dad designed the wings for him or something. I'd have to go back and read. It's like a flashback in a Nova comic book or something. Was that uh, his bird dad? that developed them he was raised by his bird dad oh and can we just talk about on uh page 12 the king of the bird people and how he is man spreading in that throne <laughs> severely oh yeah God. and justin is into it <laughs> that's big daddy vibes right there yeah that's bwe big wing energy hmm Ultimately, yes. this is a little bit of a filler comic, right? We get this story where it's the middle of this giant Magneto epic story. There's two issues to go in this storyline. And this one is a big sidestep that ultimately serves no purpose except to indulge Roy Thomas's fantasy of bringing back Red Raven. This me, guys, oh, go ahead. You guys go first. Um, to me, this felt like a speed bump in Angel's journey to the X-Men, to be honest. Um, I guess the only positive spin I can really puts on the last couple of pages um, from 8 to 13 it really does foreshadow slash translate what is shown on the cover to the issue so I do give them that it feels like a missed opportunity for like a really epic team up where Red Raven and Angel could have really helped each other out like maybe Red Raven could have helped Angel get to the Avengers faster and then Angel could be like, oh, in return, let me help you find a place for your people, like a peaceful place or something like that. So it just it feels like a wasted opportunity. This it could really have been this could have been Archangel 30 years before Archangel where like Red Raven could be like, no, I can rig your wings so you won't get tired. Yes. And then he gets yes, mechanical he's like, let me attachments. Upgrade you. Yeah. And this could have happened <laughs> ages ago. <laughs> We really could have gotten like Angel actually making it to the Avengers Mansion as well, and just his little interaction with that. Just because, you know, I guess spoilers: the Avengers just appear. You don't really see like what happens in between. 
Uh, we will we will get to that a little bit next issue. Uh, Angel's little side story here. He gets to meet some other people with wings. That's kind of all it falls down to. This, um, this issue also has another uh, terrible origin, quote unquote, origin story. There's the backup story. Do you guys talk about the backups? We're going to go there next. I was okay. just going to ask, are you guys OK going 10 more minutes? Is anybody in a rush? All good. We're all good. So let me cover the backup story really quickly, and then we'll we'll do our, our final summary. So this is an era in the comics when we have five pages every issue devoted to telling the backstory. Now, in the 60s comics, in the main stories, we've met Angel's parents, Beast's parents, Marvel Girl's parents, and Professor X's parents. We have not seen Cyclops' origins. We just learned he's an orphan in uh, the issues right before this. And now we're going to see a little bit of Iceman's backstories. Uh, so this is written by Gary Friedrich as well, drawn by George Tuska, who we love, uh, inked by John Verporten and lettered by Artie Simic. This story is heavily referenced in uh, a story, an issue called X-Men Origins Iceman, written by Roberto uh, Aguirre-Sacasa uh, in like 2009. So some of the characters you see here are also used in that story, which is a much better telling of Iceman's origins. Iceman is very much a 1960s teenage boy He's 16 in issue one of the X-Men, so he's either 15 or 16 here. He is out on a date in Nassau County with his uh, with his girlfriend named uh, uh, Judy. I forgot her last name. It'll come to me in just a second. Uh, he and Judy are out. Uh, the fact that he's dating a Judy and he later comes out as gay is wonderful. And of course, he takes her to see West Side Story because gay men love to take their beards to musicals. <laughs> <laughs> As they are leaving, Judy suspects that Iceman or Bobby is trying to tell her that he's in love with her, but they are attacked by some local bullies, including Rocky Beasley and Bug Eye, which is very leave it to Beaver. Uh, they are bullying Iceman or, or Bobby, who uh, uh, is losing his girlfriend. They're pulling Judy away. And Bobby has no choice but to use his mutant powers, which he's been carefully keeping a secret, to completely freeze Rocky in place. Uh, Judy is horrified and flees, and Bobby runs home to his mom and dad, who we meet for the first time. This is William and Madeline Drake. Uh, we see them in lots of future Iceman stories, including Cena Grace's uh, Iceman series, which in which they deal with Iceman coming out. It's a great series that great characters. Um, Iceman and his dad have a complicated relationship. We saw some of that played out during the Operation Zero Tolerance stories in the 90s, if you guys remember those. He is a guy who is very harsh on his son, but will always stand up to protect his child when he needs to. And we see the first evidence of that here. When a local mob storms the house, uh, Bobby's dad rushes outside to say, you got to go through me first. But Bobby attacks them with a whole bunch of snowballs and they grab him anyway and toss him right in jail like you would any 15 year old who throws snowballs at you. Uh, meanwhile, Professor X has already recruited his first recruit, Cyclops who is very awkwardly colored on this last page. <laughs> it's like they drew the wrong costume and then colored over it somehow. Uh, and uh, Cyclops has been assigned to go rescue Bobby from jail. So uh, we learn that Bobby, next issue we'll see Bobby is the second recruit for Xavier's fledgling X-Men team. What are your thoughts on this uh, very like leave it to beaver origin story for Bobby Drake? It's very wild how much of an allegory for being in the closet this is even back then. I probably get that it's not the intent, but I know you mentioned the whole like Judy um, seeing a musical and then having to keep his powers concealed and then kind of get locked up. So seeing how this is still kind of relevant, even if some of the references are a little dated, you know, 
Well, but we have a long queer history of if you go out and you are seen to be gay in public, they will arrest you and expose you. I mean, there is an element of that to this story, the the mutants of it all. But we also know the writers back then did not intend Bobby to be gay. We just get to read into the references very hardcore because they're so apparent. (laughs) Yes, very that. (laughs) I I mean, they may not have intended to. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, you go ahead. You go. I just—I feel like these bullies are in their forties. The way they're drawn. This guy Rocky, in the panel where he where he first grabs Judy, that looks like, like the guy works at the wharf. It's very uh, take your damn hands off her, Biff. It's definitely that, but <laughs> but this Biff looks like he's forty five years old. <laughs> I mean, look at that—he's got so many lines on his face. Oh, and Judy Harmon. Her name is Judy Harmon. I found her last name. Uh, Michelle, Michelle, you were saying something. Oh, I forgot. It wasn't even important. Don't worry about it. uh, Ultimately, this is a fine story. It's not the Iceman story I need, but we do finally get to meet his parents, which is nice. He's kind of the last one where we don't know anything about his origins. It feels weird that they call this an origin. It just seems like a story of a thing that happened before he was recruited to the X-Men. Yeah, an origin story usually is about them developing their powers or like when that comes about to me, maybe. So the fact that he already has it and then... It does emphasize the idea or the concept of mutants as the other. Unless you keep your powers hidden, you'll be attacked. And this is why the X-Men exist. So it does Mm -hmm. that kind of effectively. But yeah, ultimately, uh, Bobby's not a jokester. We don't get really anything about Iceman that we love here. It's just, eh. It's, he, doesn't uh, even, he doesn't even go snowy. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't know how yet, except he will do that next issue, actually. When, <laughs> yeah. when we see this condi- uh, when we see this in the next issue, he goes full snowy again. I guess another thing I noticed, too, is like when Bobby is initially attacked at the beginning, it kind of reminds me of like if you look in the old comics, those ads where it's like the big buff dude pushing the skinny dude being like, hey, you need your girl needs to go with the real man. And then like the skinny dude gets all buffed up, you know, like kind of giving that a little bit too the uh the charles atlas of it all yeah bobby gets tackled tackled hard yeah he really does like they are this is this is a serious takedown of this 15 year old or 16 year old kid by these 40 year old men now adult bobby is very into this but he gives consent first so (laughs) (laughs) they got him Uh, at the top and the bottom So as we're as we're wrapping up today, uh, uh, Greg, I wanted to ask really quickly: Have you read many of the '60s books? Have you seen this issue before? I've never seen this issue before. Um, my my fondness for the original X Men uh, entirely comes from uh, a book called I think I have it on my shelf somewhere. No, it's on another shelf. It was Marvel's Greatest Battles. It was this big, thick collection, and it had X Men number three in there. Right, that's the first Blob issue. Yeah, yeah. And I, I certainly read that issue multiple times. Um, to the point where when I first saw the uncanny X-Men, the post giant size X-Men, I think I didn't know who any of them were. They weren't anything I recognized as the X-Men. Uh, so I always had a fondness for the original five. I loved X factor back, back in the day when that launched in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Um, so in general, I like these characters, uh, but I've not really gone back and read the old runs, uh, to, to actually know actually what happens. I know at a certain point, the book goes into reprints. Mm-hmm. I, know, with issue, I know with issue 67. So we're getting yeah. close. We're about two yeah. thirds of the way through the original run now. Yeah, I, I know. I know it was not a, a well-received book until it was revitalized and turned into uh, what it became. 
with the exception of the Neil Adams stuff toward right. the end of the original run. And Neil Adams tragically just passed, uh, as did George Perez. It's been a rough month for artists. It's a, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a rough one for genuine legends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as we're wrapping up today, where can everybody find each of you online? And what might we have to look forward to coming out from you, uh, cosplay or content or comics-wise? Uh, and keep in mind, we'll be releasing this uh, at the end of uh, May. So I think May 23rd is the release date. So uh, if that helps you time anything you want to plug or announce. Uh, let's go in the order of Michelle, Justin, and then Greg. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michelle Waffalo. I also have a joint account with my husband that we chronicle our toy hunting and comic book collecting adventures called at adventures.in.geekdom. A couple things in my pipeline. Um, I might have another Marvel movie premiere to go to. So I'll probably be cosplay crunching for something to wear to that. Um, I also have just recently joined the Powers of X podcast mm -hmm. team. So I'm, I'll be doing a lot more co-hosting with them as well as we're toying with the Judgment Day special. So if you guys are following comics and you want to follow along the Judgment Day storyline with us, oh, we would love to have you listen. And then crossing my fingers that I get a panel approved for San Diego Comic-Con. Yay! I adore you and you are such a light and delightful person. Uh, it's so nice to have you here. Oh, thank you. I, I love being here. I've seen a few of your cosplays before, and I really enjoy them, like some of the deep dives you have taken. Um, I know I saw your yeah. husk and your Polaris. Those are the two that stand out to me. So, Hi. you know, to actually, you know, be in the same chat, you know, Aww. it's good. To I actually, love a good like, deep talk. dive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Justin, go ahead. So you can find me at J underscore Cosmic, spelled K-O-S-M-I-C, on Instagram. Um, I guess my page chronicles just a lot of, um, I've done a few cosplays as of recently um, at, you know, my local convention. I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I'm hoping to, you know, get a couple more in this year, maybe do a couple different looks. Um, I did have one that I originally ordered that didn't arrive on time, so I ended up throwing together the Hellfire Gala look for Havoc, um, put it together in a week, and it turned out great, and really proud of how that turned out. And um, I'm very much into toy collecting as well with the Marvel Legends, and I'm actually hoping to get them displayed because I've been procrastinating on that for too long. Uh, fantastic. And uh, Justin, you've done a lot of great cosplay as well. I'm always thirsty for it, but your Hawkeye remains my favorite. For anyone who has not seen Justin's uh, <laughs> infamous Hawkeye, we'll, uh, we'll repost. It's great. Uh, and then Greg, go ahead. Uh so I'll plug three things. First is my my series of superhero universe books, Z-O-O -O per hero. Uh, they're animal superheroes for kids or people who are kids at heart. Uh, and those you can get on Amazon. If you just go to Amazon and search superhero, you will find them. There's three books right now. The fourth book will be coming out in June. Uh, and that is about a size-changing crocodile named Scale. Uh, the... The movie Top Gun Maverick opens on May 27th. And this is not a plug for that movie. It is a plug for what will then be the next episode of Cruising Together, 
the podcast about Tom Cruise movies. Uh, we've been waiting a year and a half for this movie to come out because it keeps getting delayed. Uh, so we will eventually record that after we've seen it. So you can you can check out the show Cruising Together. And there's a back catalog of every other movie he's ever been in. So pick your favorite Tom Cruise movie and give that a listen. Uh, I have a tea Public page where I throw up uh, very strange t-shirt designs uh, of obscure things that I think are funny. My latest one is a, it's a parody of the Pep Boys logo, but instead of Manny, Moe, and Jack, it's Charles Grodin, Grogu, and Grover, and it says Grow Bros. Um, so these are the sorts of things I throw out into the world, and you can find everything about me. It's It's the website, the Twitter, and the Instagram. It's just my name, G-R-E-G-G-S-C-H-I-G-I-E-L. I'm going to assume there'll be a link somewhere so that you don't have to scramble to write all that down. Um, and yeah, if, if that's where I do all my announcing, I do a monthly newsletter where I ramble on the first of every month. I love it. I'm a big fan and I just put superheroes into my queue. So I'll, I'll look forward to reading that with my kids. It's, all right. it's, and it's free to read on, on uh, Kindle Unlimited if you have a Kindle okay. Unlimited subscription. Okay. I mean, I, Greg, buy I them by all means. But It's an honor to have you here and to just see all the different places where your influence and your art and talent have seeded uh, uh, influence into our, our love of these characters and these comics. Uh, what an honor to get to know you today. I had a blast. Thank you very much. It's all very, very kind. I'm flattered. Nice to meet all of you. Uh, I, I find cosplay to be a fascinating and, and delightful thing to observe. It's, it's one of the best things about doing cons is seeing the costumes go by. Uh, I was very thrilled once. I was, I was at New York Comic Con and I saw somebody walk by dressed as Crusader from that last issue of What If. Oh, yeah. And it was like seeing a famous person. And I, and I chased this woman down and I stopped. I probably scared the crap out of her. I was like, I designed what you're wearing. And we took pictures together. It was it was really, but it was like seeing something. So for all of you that do it, know that that those of us that make the drawings, when we see you walking around, it's very, very cool. I'm guessing it's like when you're five and you see Mickey Mouse at Disney World. It's like, oh my God, that's a famous person. <laughs> it's very cool. Uh, and then lastly, my name is Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kids, but you can find me on Gray Malkin P like podcast on Twitter or just under Gray Malkin Lane on Instagram. Uh, we have some great stuff coming up. You just referenced the blob, Greg. We just released, well, prior to the release of this, it hasn't been released as, the, as of this recording. We just released our focused episode on the blob, uh, which was really profound uh, and lovely. So make sure to give that a listen. Our next issue, we're going to be continuing, our next episode, we're going to be continuing this storyline, uh, reviewing X-Men number 45 with the incredible uh, writer and teacher, Douglas Wolk, who wrote the book, All of the Marvels, if you're familiar. Uh, and we've got some great guests and some stuff lined up coming up all through this summer. I'm booked all the way to the end of August, which is insane. And I'm so excited for everything we have uh, coming forward. Uh, so thank you, everybody. We will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you so much for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Gray Malkin Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Gray Malkin Lane can be found on Twitter at Gray Malkin P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Gray Malkin Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Gray Malkin Lane. Mm -hmm.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.